Welcome to the Golden Shadow. My name is Aaron Rogerson. And I'm Melissa Polizzi. Today we're talking about a metaphor, the rider and the elephant. This metaphor has been floating around in various forms for a very long time, I think, maybe even since the uh, ancient Greeks. Hmm. Uh, the notion of the rider and the horse or the man and the monster some kind of metaphor describing a higher form of the self and a lower form of the self or a more reasonable version of the self and a more kind of unreasonable, passionate, emotional version of the self. And this metaphor is problematic. It doesn't transfer over super easily to a lot of the concepts that we often throw around in psychology like rational and emotional or ego and unconscious, et cetera, et cetera. But this metaphor is useful because it's understandable and you can play with it. And it actually d demonstrates a dynamic that I think can bring some awareness into people's general behavior, people's general psychology. Mm -hmm. You can understand people better if you think about this metaphor. You can understand your relationships better and mm -hmm. you can understand yourself and maybe approach yourself working with yourself, developing better habits by using this metaphor as a framework, you might say. Yeah, I think we'll spend the majority of this episode sort of talking through this metaphor because it is helpful and especially the visual, I think we should get into more and really just kind of uh, project into our minds this idea of us walking around with this big animal that mm -hmm. we're not in control of. But in preparation for this episode, we've been talking a little bit more about what it actually means, and it's it's not that we disagree. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that, but we're, we're arguing <laughs> a lot, and uh, Alyssa and I operate from different paradigms, and we also have different minds, and uh, I tend to have a more zoomed out, sort of systematic, synthesizing mind that looks at everything in this very uh, grandiose, like spread thin kind of way. Mm. And I think she has a more kind of narrow and deep mm. understanding of, mm, she has a system that's a little more narrow, I guess you could say. Yeah. So yeah. that's partly why we have trouble coming up with uh, topics often <laughs> is because I'm trying to come from like bird's eye down and she's mm. coming from like worm's view of, yeah, yeah. you might say. Anyways, we digress. So the rider and the elephant, the image of the rider and the elephant is there's a gigantic beast and this beast weighs a lot. It's incredibly strong. Mm -hmm. um, it's an animal. Uh, it wants what it wants. Mm -hmm. uh, it follows its instincts. It might eat something off the ground without thinking about it. It might get spooked and run away. Um, it might try scratching its back against a sacred piece of art without realizing what it's doing. Um, and then there's the writer, which is someone who is maybe what we think of as being more human or smarter or mm. more rational, uh, more aware. And that person is trying to ride the elephant or maybe in this metaphor, they have to ride the elephant. So you have a man who can think, who can see, who understands the world um, who has certain ideas about what should happen. He is wise. He knows the right path to take, but he's on top of the elephant and the elephant maybe doesn't want to go down that path. The elephant maybe wants to go where it wants to go. Mm -hmm. And this metaphor maps on to us. Mm -hmm. 
because we have a higher self that we often think of as being the more rational or reasonable self, the more aware self, the more conscious self. Um, I think it maps on pretty well to the ego and the unconscious. Alyssa and I have some disagreements about that maybe, but that's part of the fun of this episode is teasing out those differences. But basically you have a higher self, the ego, I would say, which maps onto the writer. And then you have a lower self, a more animalistic self, a more emotional feeling self, which maps onto the unconscious. Mm-hmm. I think I think what I struggle with with just utilizing the terms of ego and unconscious, even though I agree a lot, I really do, mm-hmm. is that it, there seems to be um, more of the classification of the writer being uh, the rational mind and yeah. the elephant being the emotional mind. I mm-hmm. think even if you just sort of Google this metaphor, that's a lot of what you'll find in these like random articles. Right. And that doesn't mean that they've got it right, <laughs> but... Yeah, and we, we don't have it right either. And so like <laughs> we're certainly not guaranteeing that we're using this metaphor properly. And someone, you might have read a book on this and might say, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. We acknowledge that. Yeah, well... And we, and we don't care. Yeah, we're, we're just exploring. We do care. We, do, we want to be right. But what I'm saying <laughs> is that we, uh, we're we going to talk about this anyways. Yeah. And we might be talking about it wrong, but yeah. I think it's a, a fun metaphor to explore. Yeah. To me, the ego at its core is the seat of consciousness it is conscious awareness. And that does not necessarily mean that it's rational. It can rationalize. Certainly it can think things through and it can take in certain information and try to make sense of it and and make decisions. But Mm -hmm. we recognize in a lot of the paradigm that we've been talking about on this podcast, mostly from the Jungian framework, that the ego thinks it's in control and thinks it understands things or thinks that it's making its own choices because it's decided that. And yet there's this whole other bottom of the iceberg Mm -hmm. and that's the unconscious. So I enjoy the metaphor of the rider and the elephant. um, But when it's kind of, when the dichotomy is like emotional versus rational, I'm like, "Eh." it's problematic. Yeah, It's a little problematic for me. Rational as a term, I think is already problematic. And I think a lot of people aren't using that word properly or they don't even know what they really mean when they say it yeah and same with emotions it's when you ask someone to define what they mean by emotion people often don't know how to respond to that yeah that's like well it's it's self-evident right emotions yeah we all know what those are (laughs) it's like well okay yeah but we're trying to get into like the specific psychology of it Mm -hmm. it's like well i don't know it's just you know it's like you feel angry or sad or something and that's emotions yeah it's like okay fair enough but that's a basic understanding but Anyways, it's problematic to think about it as emotion and rationality that's Mm -hmm. oversimplified. And I think that will lead you down the wrong path if you try to unpack psychology into that dualism. Yeah. But um, the rider and the elephant to me is pointing at something that is kind of more vague and basic, Mm -hmm. which is like there's Mm -hmm. a higher self and there's a lower self. Okay, but I have to, I have to, (laughs) I have like a little bit of an issue. Sure. Unless like higher self is like the tip of the iceberg and it's just there and you can see it. But like, I feel like a lot of people have an association with like higher self being like the realized version of you, the higher self. And I'm like, the ego is not that. Right. So. The, the, the levitating Buddha <laughs> is like the higher self. I know right? that's not what you mean, but I just want to clarify <laughs> that for anybody yeah, listening. <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's the trouble with psychology is that it's so complex yeah. uh, that there's constant terminological disputes sure like sure. what do we even mean when we say higher self yeah what do we mean when we say self <laughs> like we already uh, talked about that oh my god yeah uh that was problematic who is the self yeah is the self the ego yeah is it 
what I think of when I think of I. Yeah. Not exactly. Well, is it like the unconscious? Like kind of. Uh, what about the notion of like the ascended self, the person you were trying to become? Yeah. We had an episode called Higher Self. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I'm already having <laughs> a terminological dispute with myself. Um, anyways. But we mean like the conscious self, you know, yes. that which we are aware of, right. you know, there is, the thinking mind. Right. And again, higher and lower is, is a metaphor, right? Yes. There isn't yes. actually like a geographical orientation as much as it's sort of metaphorically. There's... Um, a part of you that's more conscious and there's a part of you that's more unconscious mm-hmm. and it, it's intuitive to think of those as having a depth. Yeah. One is surface. Yes. One is deep below yes. the surface. Yes. Anyways, um, all that aside, what we're talking about is something I think you can recognize pretty easily um, if you think about it, mm-hmm. which is that um, a lot of our behavior doesn't seem to be exactly what we want mm. from ourselves. Mm. Um, people do tend to believe they're too, they tend to at least describe themselves as being in complete control. Yeah. Very few people like to acknowledge that they're not in control of themselves. Mm. That's a scary thing to acknowledge to yourself, but it's mostly true. Mm. Um, we, uh, we don't know how to force ourselves to do absolutely everything we want to force ourselves to do. Hmm. And, you know, one of the most extreme examples I would say is, is, is someone who has an addiction. Hmm. This is an extreme example. We can start here. It's kind of contrived, but, you know, it's good to start extreme. Um, someone who's addicted to smoking cigarettes, for instance, um, they can't simply decide to stop smoking. Hmm. The, uh, I'll be careful with the terminology here, but let's say the writer, mm-hmm. the writer. So the, the, the man on top of the elephant who has the reins who is trying to guide the elephant in a direction, that person is like the ego, I would say, like mm-hmm. the autobiographical I. Mm-hmm. And they might say, you know what? I should quit smoking. Yeah. Snap my fingers. I'm done smoking forever. Right. I've decided it. Yeah. And some people do this. They convince themselves that, yeah, I can just decide to quit. And then 30 minutes later, man, I need a cigarette. And they smoke. Yeah. And it's like... What happened? The elephant's big trunk like just went into the jacket pocket exactly. and pulled out a cigarette yeah. and started smoking it. Exactly. <laughs> we, we, so let's try to stick with the metaphor as much as possible during this episode. Um, but it's like the elephant is... I'm still laughing. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's good. Um, the writer is like, okay, we are done smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and the elephant will never smoke again. And, right. the, and the writer might actually know how to do that. The writer's like... Yeah, no more cigarettes. Yeah. And then he's like, all right, let's keep on our adventure, mm-hmm. Mr. Elephant. And then yeah. like he sees the elephant's like smoking a cigarette. Right. And he's like, what are you? We decided we were done, yeah. elephant. Mm. And the elephant's like not listening because it's an elephant. It's just yeah. smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Which is a pretty funny image, right? <laughs> Very funny. Would it smoke through the trunk or would it smoke through the mouth? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, we're going to get too distracted <laughs> here. Um, but... The idea that the elephant isn't listening to the rider, hmm. the elephant wants a cigarette, mm. and so the elephant smokes anyways, and the rider's like, what are you doing? We right. decided we were quitting. What this illustrates is that you can't just decide to quit smoking, hmm. and when you try, you fail, hmm. and maybe you quit for six months, and then you have a relapse, and you start smoking again, Yeah. and there's all these ways in which people are like, I have this bad habit, hmm. and I don't know how to stop. Yeah. I need help. Yeah. 
I, I cannot tell myself to stop doing this. Mm-hmm. I cannot get myself to stop doing this. Yeah. What does that mean when you can't get yourself to do something? Mm-hmm. It's like it's, at first, if you say that, it seems ridiculous. Yeah. Like the idea of like, I can't convince myself to do what I want to do. Mm. That's ridiculous. Of course I can. It's like, well, <laughs> no, actually you can't. Yeah. It's not as easy as you think to get yourself to do something that you think you should do. Yeah. In fact, you fail at it all the time. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you're just not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you actually are really, really disappointed and really in control of your life. Of course, there are people who are incredibly disappointed out there and sure. who can do things like quit smoking cold turkey. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking about them. We're talking about the average person who um, thinks they're in control of themselves and yet they find that they can't control themselves. Right. So the elephant in this case has been trained... Um, to become dependent on this cigarette yeah. and the will of the writer, you know, it will not overcome the, the needs mm-hmm. of the elephant. Right. And it seems that this is a, a mental model and a metaphor that's applicable to a lot of behavioral psychology Yeah. in a way that we can look at these different behaviors and understand why it is we struggle. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, what do we do? How can we <laughs> slowly wean the elephant off of cigarettes. Right. So the writer, one way to think about this, I think, is that the writer is sort of like a representative of the elephant. Mm. The writer serves the elephant. Yes. The writer is, in some ways you can think of the writer, I think, as being like a public relations agent for the elephant. Mm. And if you go to someone to talk to them, you're sort of talking to the writer. Mm. I say, hey, man, uh, I think you should quit smoking. Mm-hmm. The person, the other individual might respond, you're right, I'm going to quit. But I'm talking to the writer. I'm talking to the, to the conscious self. I'm talking to the egoic self. I'm talking mm-hmm. to the um, one who's convinced he's in charge. Yeah. And then we have a conversation and we've agreed. Me and the other individual, we've agreed that he's going to quit smoking. And he's like, I'm going to do it. Um, but I'm not talking to the elephant. The elephant is the one with the addiction. Mm. The elephant is the instinct, the uh, deeper emotions, the deeper conditioning, um, the elephant is often the trauma, the, mm. b- the body, mm. the things that are, are sort of, um, ingrained in you. Mm. That's the elephant. And so, uh, I'm not talking to the elephant when I'm having a conversation about quitting smoking, when I'm having a conversation with this, with this individual about quitting smoking, excuse yeah. me. Um, and so what can happen there? Something that could happen is that the other individual might, let's say, check themselves into rehab. Hmm. what are they doing there it's like they're actually essentially leading the elephant into a cage and saying okay you're stuck here now Hmm. and the elephant's gonna freak out and it's gonna be like i want a cigarette i want a cigarette i want a cigarette Hmm. but it can't get one Hmm. because it's in rehab yeah it's locked up and so it's like the writer has somehow taken control by tricking the self into doing something that all the instincts and emotions don't actually want Hmm. and that's an extreme example yeah Well, I think that on an everyday um, experience, we have to recognize that the, the, the elephant that's been trained, Mm -hmm. you know, by whatever situation to act the way that it acts or to desire the things that it desires to need those elements must then have a process of, of, of kind of negotiation, almost like diplomacy, you might mm-hmm. say, of, of how can we motivate the elephant to start working with the writer. And I think yeah. that that's maybe the point 
at the heart of this is that we're recognizing that consciousness or who we are in totality is divided. And yeah. so when we are divided against ourselves, those uh, pieces might be in opposition. Mm -hmm. So how can they get on the same path? Right. And how can the writer recognize that the elephant has these uh, learned tendencies now and can't just change, you know, mm -hmm. right off the bat? So how do you motivate the elephant? It's like, well, if you don't smoke, you get this instead, you know, like you, you start to play these little games with yourself almost, mm -hmm. you might say. Um, and also the, the writer needs to have like that clear goal at the same time. You know, why, why are we taking this new direction in our life, mm -hmm. writer, you know, because you know, our doctor says we're worried about our health. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you start looking at these different ways that you can frame the need for these behavioral changes and set yourself up for success by working with both the writer and the elephant. Right. Setting up a path that mm -hmm. makes it easier for the, the elephant to go in that direction. Yeah. Uh, setting up the environment. Um, so the elephant is going to do what you think it should do. Right. Um, reduce the obstacles. Reducing the obstacles. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's do, let's do some more examples of this okay. to illustrate the concept because I, I still think this is a pretty easy metaphor, but at the same time it is kind of confusing. Yeah, so, something a little bit more subtle. Yeah. Um, another good example I, I, I would say is that uh, someone uh, is in a romantic relationship um, and they've gotten so fed up with their partner that they're convinced that they would be better off without their partner, let's say. Mm. And so what they do is they somehow, the writer, which is like the conscious self, the egoic self, I would say, the writer is convinced that they, they don't need this person anymore. I'm done. It's over. I'm going to go off and do my own thing now. I'm mm. going to be free. Being single is going to be so cool. And I'm just like going to go like Mac on hella babes <laughs> and just like be free. And like I can't wait for it. And like, so they break up with their girlfriend and they go on to the single life mm. and the writer is convinced that they're going to be fine yeah. and this is actually going to be way better mm -hmm. and they're super excited about it. Mm -hmm. And then two weeks pass by mm. and it's like, I really miss my girlfriend. Mm. Oh shit. Being single isn't that cool. Actually. I'm just basically alone. Mm. Oh, uh, meeting girls is hard. Oh, wow. I, I don't realize the, the role this person played in my life. Mm. Oh, my God. I wasn't paying attention at all. Like, yeah. oh, God, can I undo this? Can mm. I undo this? Baby, 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 baby. Like, I want you back. Like, oh, my God, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. And again, like, this is a stereotypical experience that I think a lot of people have experienced themselves. Yeah. Or they've seen someone to go through this um, where, again, it's like it's almost like this individual was not in touch with themselves. Mm. They didn't realize all these things happening underneath the surface. Mm that uh, attach this person to their partner, to their romantic partner. Yeah. And that's the elephant, mm. right? The elephant is the lower under the surface self mm. who actually feels all these deep things that the writer is not in touch with. Mm. And the writer's like, come on, elephant, we're going to be single. Mm. And the elephant doesn't care. The elephant wants what it wants. Mm. And in that moment, it wants to be back in the relationship. Yeah. And they have, you have this weird moment of like, I don't know what I was thinking. Mm. Why did I do this? Mm. What the hell was I thinking? Mm. And it's this disconnection. It's this clash. Yeah. And the disconnection sort of feels like there's different versions of yourself that aren't in connection with each other. Yeah. They're not in contact. Yeah. And that's, again, this, this, this metaphor of the rider and the elephant. Yeah. So would you say that someone with a higher emotional intelligence, 
or however you might want to say that, someone mm. who's more in tune with themselves yeah. is more in tune with the elephant, with their beast. Yeah. And an individual who just found themselves in, in this situation where they didn't realize how deeply connected they were to their partner mm -hmm. and is now like the, the elephant is rampaging, Yeah, has lost a connection or maybe never had it truly with that emotional deep need that the elephant is. Um, it, in some ways, the elephant has been connected to that person the whole time, but right. the writer hasn't realized it. Right. So what do we do for a person like that? How, uh, how do they become more in tune with that, with that elephant, with, with the needs of the elephant? Well, that's a complicated question. I mean, there's, yeah. a, lot, there's a lot of strategies. Um, I think any personal work, any inner work, any self-work, however, however you want to phrase it, there's all these different forms of that. But a lot of it is, is aimed at getting more in touch with yourself. Yeah. Um, and again, like, it's like, what is, what the hell does that mean? Getting more in touch with yourself? Mm. How can you be out of touch with yourself? Because that same person might then get into another relationship eventually and yeah. find themselves in maybe not the exact same situation, but something might arise that, that cycle of once again, not recognizing these, uh, deeper needs, deeper feelings, right. uh, the other part that's just not being recognized. Right. Once again, finds themselves in a situation where they're in a freak out. Right. Repeating patterns. Right. Repeating patterns. And that's, yeah. that's, that's again, any, any bad habit that keeps happening to someone, any repeated pattern that's sort of like this pattern that they can't seem to control mm -hmm. and even more explicitly, they can't seem to explain it. Yeah. Like, wait, why are you back together with this person again? Mm -hmm. I thought you said it was over mm. and you told, you laid out all these reasons why it didn't make sense for you guys to be together. And now you're together again. Mm. And the person you ask that question to, the, the, the thing that you're talking to is the writer. Mm -hmm. And the writer is like, I don't know, the elephant just kind of keeps doing this stuff and I don't know what to tell you because mm -hmm. it's like a public relations agent, right? The writer serves the elephant and the, mm -hmm. and the writer is saying, uh, I don't know, the elephant wanted to get back together with Marsha. Well, the, the friend will be like, hey, man, like, why are you back together with your yeah. girlfriend who yeah. you're fighting with all the time and yeah. you said you weren't even in love with? And you'll be like, well, like, we met up and she seems different and I seem different. Like, yeah. excuses, rationalize, let me right. just uh, uh, pull something out of my excuse hat. Right. That's what the writer's doing. That's right. how it's, that's, uh, that idea of rationalizing in that yeah. sense makes sense to me. Yeah. That is what the writer is doing. It's right. suddenly realizes that they, they've found himself in this totally different place and you know, the elephant brought them there. Mm -hmm. So why it's like, Oh, well, let me tell you why it's because this doesn't yeah. that make sense. And yeah. you know, your friend might just be like, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So you have, you have this image of someone riding an elephant and the elephant is just like eating something disgusting off the ground, mm. like eating something that's not good for it at all. And you're like, dude, the, your elephant is like eating all that like nasty stuff. What are you going to do about it? And like you have this image of the rider on top of the elephant being like hands up in the air like, I don't, mm. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell you. The mm. elephant is just, I, I can't control it. I can't mm. control the elephant. Mm. The elephant is driving. The yeah. elephant goes where it wants. The elephant wanted to get back with Marsha mm. and I am scrambling to come up with some sort of explanation for the elephant's behavior, mm. for why the elephant is walking down this path and mm -hmm. I seem to have no control over it. Yeah. And maybe here's a bunch of excuses. Maybe here's a bullshit story. Maybe yeah. I'll even lie to you. Yeah. Maybe sure. I'll say, 
oh, well, uh, it turns out that Marsha is dying of cancer or something like that. And I have to take care of her now. It's like people will actually do that and they won't realize what they're doing. They're mm-hmm. trying to make up a story that's an excuse for their behavior. Yeah. Like a writer making an excuse for the elephant being like, uh, the elephant just trampled all over your garden. And, uh, fuck, how, how can I explain why the elephant did that? Uh, it's because the flowers are poisonous. That's the reason. That's the reason the elephant did what it did. And yeah. so, you know, we see people doing this all the time, um, in all kinds of ways. Um, and it can be, it can be more subtle than that. And it doesn't have to be always so pejorative sure. too. Um, and in fact, when you think about someone who's in, in touch with their elephant, someone who the writer and the elephant have a good connection. Um, you have the image of the rider with the reins and the rider and the elephant are friends and the rider feeds the elephant, takes care of it and makes it feel loved. And when the rider says, we're going right now, elephant, the elephant does it. Mm. And when the rider says, okay, we're going left now, the elephant does it. And there's a good relationship there. And that might look like, if we leap out of the metaphor into real life, that might look like someone who... Uh, uh, treats uh, exercises every day. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's like I, I'm doing. Like, why do you exercise? Isn't it painful and take up time? And don't you get kind of sweaty and gross? Doesn't mm-hmm. it just seem kind of like a, a painful thing to do? It's like, yeah, it is. But like, I, I know ultimately that it's good for me. Yeah. And what they're saying is like, it's good for my entire being, my entire self, my body. It's good for my body. Mm. It's like, wouldn't your body rather just like eat candy and drink a bunch of alcohol though? It's like, yeah, that is what the elephant might rather do, but it's not good for the elephant. And like, I know that like I want to take care of it. And every once in a while I reward the elephant. We have a deal. If the elephant has a good week at work and exercises every day and meditates and gets everything done on its to-do list, I let the elephant have one drink. Mm. It's like, okay, that's nice. It's like you have a good relationship with your lower self Mm. or you can explain your lower self and you can, someone flips out. They, they have some crazy, volatile moment where they get really pissed off and when you ask them what just happened there if the writer is in is in good relationship with the elephant he, he can say well you know what sorry i have some ptsd from a previous job situation in which i was being really undervalued and kind of like talked down to quite a bit and it made me really sensitive and i realize now when i feel like someone's talking down to me that I had this like really volatile, like sensitive, like traumatic response to it. Mm. And that's what just happened. Mm. I can actually explain what really happened just now. Yeah. You know why? Because the writer understands the elephant really well. Mm. So I can explain to you what happened. Yeah. And if I had a bad relationship between the writer and the elephant, I might say, I, I'm not angry. Mm. I didn't get pissed off just right. now. Yeah. Fuck you. Go away. Like, yeah. leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, the writer is just being like, go away. I don't want to, I can't explain what happened. I don't know what happened. I don't want to talk about it. They don't want to acknowledge that there is an elephant. They're the type of person who's like got the blinders on. And even though they're on top of this big animal and it's walking along the path and it's tearing shit up because it's angry. Yeah, maybe it's like ripping people's heads (laughs) off or something. Like The the writer's still denying it, right? Yeah, it's like, what heads? What decapitated people? I don't see anything. Yeah, and, and some people really do find themselves in situations like that because to turn towards the elephant, to recognize that there is this other part of you that is uncontrollable, quote-unquote, yeah. is uh, so destabilizing. Yeah. Or they're just not ready for it. Ego, mm-hmm. the writer, you might say, is not strong enough 
to to realize that they need to look down and see <laughs> what's running the show. Right. Okay. I have a question. Sure. So, you know, I I still admittedly don't fully understand the metaphor, but if Me we neither. if if we just take it in a generalized direction and maybe not looking at maladaptive habits mm-hmm. um, or things like that, but more so at natural intuitions, things that the, does the elephant sense things as the unconscious part of one's being and wants to kind of guide the rider, you know, toward a a different path. And that's just because maybe the elephant has an intuition or maybe the elephant and, and all the elephants before it have always like walked this path and knows it needs to turn down this way. And the rider can kind of be like, no, 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 no. Or maybe they're in touch with it. And they say, I feel this deep sense of movement in this direction and I go. Right. I I like thinking about it that way. I don't know if that's right. No, it's important. I think it's important. It's very important. Yeah. It's it's not as intuitive to think of it that way. Um because we tend to focus on like negative things more than uh positive aspects. Well that's that was part of what I was when we first started talking about this, I was yeah. like, "This seems very Freudian to mm-hmm. me." Like we're talking about all of these, yeah. right? And that's I think that's I think that's a misframing. And uh, right, you know, Freud's Freud's great, and Freud's a genius. But yes, we love Freud. Honestly, I'm not even going to pretend I understand Freud at all. <laughs> so I don't I don't want to make any claims about what Freud is and is not. But right. I do get the feeling that sometimes when people talk about Freud or they're looking things through a Freudian viewpoint, they're kind of looking at it in this sort of more negative psychology way as opposed to a positive psychology way where it's like the unconscious is like this like sexual lustful disgusting thing and like all we're trying to do is like fight back that thing like that monster yeah like but it comes out and it just like wants to fuck things and like (laughs) that's what the unconscious is and it's like yeah i mean is that all it is right well that that was the split right between freud and young basically and that's a stereotype forgive me for stereotyping freud i don't i don't want to claim that i understand freud but yeah. yeah. No, it's it's to me when I was when we were first talking about it or even then when I started looking it up because um, I hadn't haven't read, um, you know, Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, where I think right. this is talked about a lot. But it was like this seems yeah, that's, very that's where we got the idea for. Talking yeah, this. this seems kind of in relation to the id. When we're kind of looking at a lot of these examples, too, where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you find yourself calling your ex-girlfriend in the middle of the night. Whoops. Mm-hmm. Why'd that happen? It's yeah. the elephant. It's like, is that all the elephant is, guys? Yeah. Like that is useful um, to point out, though, because there are I think a lot of people might be listening, who are listening might be familiar with the idea of the id mm-hmm. and the ego and right. the super ego. Right. Yes. Freud's yes. paradigm. Yes. Yes. And. It's not perfect, yeah, as not perfect. I just said in a very strong, contrived way. Um, <laughs> it's not perfect, but but the idea of the ego and the id mm. from the Freudian perspective, if you have yeah. an idea of what the id is, right, right. You, this is kind of mapping onto the same idea. The id is the elephant right? and the ego is the writer. Right, because from the Jungian point of view, I'm like, oh, like, I don't know about like the unconscious slash elephant being just that. That's part of it. Right, and I right, think, right. And, uh, but to that point... Freud came up with his theories because that is a manifestation that is incredibly prominent in right. in, uh, in the in the nineteenth century, but also in modern day, where oh, we're yeah. seeing people. It makes, it's, it's the most salient example. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's why, like, let's think of an example. Well, okay, you're smoking, or okay, you right. have like this right. really bad right. habit. It's like okay, that's true. Right. So uh, let's think of a, a less salient example, which is like a more positive example. Well, that's what I was wondering yeah. because to me, especially when I think about certain relationships to the unconscious of my own personality, there right. are those 
times that I find myself in bad habits and I'm like, oh, damn it. Okay. But there's also times where I feel these big pulls in Mm -hmm. different directions in my life and there's something else that's in control of that. And it's not me. It's not the ego. It's not the writer. So to me, it's helpful to at least flesh out this idea to encompass the recognition that maybe you've been working your job just, you know, day in and day out for a couple of years. And it's like, "Eh, it's not that bad, but you start feeling this draw in another direction Mm -hmm. to want to pursue a career that taps into your artistic and creative skills when you've been in something that's not really that. And there hadn't been any sort of conscious actions that had been um, cultivating that Mm -hmm. you might say. So where is this, desire coming from? Where is this intuition coming from? I would like to think that the elephant also has those capabilities that Mm -hmm. to, to, to pull you onto a new path that's good for you. And that's going to help you grow and become that version that you're meant to be. Right. So this this is important. And, um, to keep up with the metaphor, um, as Alyssa just laid out, um, articulately we're, we've kind of been describing sort of like a negative version of this, right? It's mm-hmm. where like the writer knows what's best and the elephant is just like this animal baby brat thing <laughs> that like, just like is doing all these terrible things. Right. And that's, that's kind of like one version of this that manifests. But like, what about the, the opposite where you have individuals who don't know how to follow their intuition? Mm-hmm. They don't know how they feel. Yeah. And, if they would listen to their gut more, if mm. they would listen to their instincts, if they would call upon the unconscious to guide mm. them more, yeah. they would actually have an easier time navigating reality, mm. navigating their life. And the unconscious might be like, I can feel that if you take this leap of faith, this is going to be good for you. But yeah. the writer might say, that's too dangerous. Yeah. Oh God, no. No, <laughs> no, no, no way. I'm not going to listen to my gut on yeah. this. Like I, I can't trust my instinct or my intuition. Mm-hmm. Only logic all the time. Only rationality all the time. Um, but often the elephant sees and hears and smells things that the yeah. writer can't yeah. as animals often do. Yeah. Um, which is kind of almost why the, the original version of this metaphor for me I actually just came up with on my own. It was a dog and it made more sense to me. Because like dogs like eat trash and like we're around them all the time, um, and they they do stupid things like that. But like but dogs smell better than we do. They hear better than we do. They they see things that humans can't. Yeah. So yeah. So the elephant, let's say the elephant knows that at the top of the mountain, there's this great treasure. It can just feel it somehow. It can smell it, and it can be like it's trying to take the rider up the mountain because mm. it knows that like going up the mountain is like the right path. Right. And the rider's like, what are you? What are you doing? Why are you taking us up the mountain? That's going to be difficult. Yeah. We don't have time for that. Yeah. And so the rider's like tugging on the reins and being like, elephant, no, where are you taking me? Where are you taking us? But the elephant actually knows something the rider doesn't. And if the rider would just say like, okay, I'm just going to let you go. I trust you. I trust you. That The the elephant would actually lead the rider to this great treasure. Right. And that's what our intuition is often telling us. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of people, and I, I mean, I would include myself in this. There's like a deep deep drive in me that's instinctual Mm. it's intuitive Mm. that guides me Mm. towards things and if people ask me what are you doing like i'm like i don't know Mm. (laughs) exactly i just know this is right yeah and it's like well can you lay it out for me can you uh map it out for me what your path forward is what's your five-year plan Mm. it's like i don't 
<laughs> have a five-year plan. I don't know. I don't, I can't explain it to you. I just know this is the right direction. Yes. I think we should do an episode on intuition. Yeah. By the way, just throwing that Heavenly? out. Um, no. No. Intuition is sensing. We talked about doing that. Right. But that's the typology. Yeah, typology. But we could just focus on intuition as a concept. Yes, because this is already like, oh, this would be really interesting to get into, but yeah. we can't because we don't have time. But part of what you're talking about, mm-hmm. I think, is really important. And to contrast that against this paradigm of the rider and the elephant in the one-dimensional way is yeah. why I think you need to expand your idea of what this is. Because... If you go back to the original ideas, or even if you look this up online, what you might see, it's like the writer is rational. He rationalizes. He's yeah. going to look at things that that are real and and just think about right. this more clearly. And the elephant's so emotional and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But when the, when the elephant is trying to take you up the mountain because mm-hmm. it sees and hears and senses and knows that there's something up there that you yeah. need, the the writer who wants to fight it yeah. is is not going to be able to rationalize truly what is at the top of that mountain because yeah. it, it can't see it. Yeah. And it's probably operating from this place of fear mm-hmm. and uncertainty. Yeah. And it, it's tapping into that same thing where we might have said like the elephant is scared or the elephant yeah. needs the the cigarette or whatever. So it's like we're almost sort of flipping it a little bit, yeah. but it's important to recognize that the writer, the, the ego is not always going to be able to understand things in enough depth and complexity right. and it might be feeling deep emotional instability yeah. and it might be trying to rationalize quote unquote based on that instability that it's feeling while yeah. there's something else that's trying to drive it towards growth transformation development etc so this paradigm ultimately is to me it, it comes back a lot to the 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 constraints that the writer has that mm-hmm. ego consciousness has mm-hmm. and if we just recognize that that is true that that there is parts of us that might be more damaged than we realize that might be stronger and more intuitive than we realize then we can just have more openness flexibility curiosity about what we're feeling what we're sensing what we're thinking feeling and not be so restricted with ourselves or not be so one-dimensional and to open a conversation because that's to me what recognizing the the different dimensionalities of consciousness is all about it's about opening conversation and letting that flow and seeing where it takes you and following intuitions when it feels right and maybe holding back when you need to. Um, but just recognizing that if you feel fear, it might be the elephant, but it might also be the writer in some ways. Right. So it's important to not attach too much good and bad yeah. to the writer and the elephant. Mm. It's not the right way to look at it. Yeah. And again, I think it's better to think about it as a, a thing of depth what's surface level and what's under the surface yeah. or what's conscious and what's unconscious. Um, more sort of think of it as something that knows what's best and something that is stupid and needs to be controlled. And that's like a very rationalist way of looking at the world. Honestly, just like rationality rules. And mm. like, it's legal. That, that's just like the way to like the promised land is to be rational. And therefore you must deny like all instinct and intuition. Like that's unfortunately a lot of people have kind of found their way into that sort of way of thinking, which well, understandably. Understandably. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, it's hard to, what are we even talking about? But mm-hmm. um, being in, uh, in contact with the unconscious self, being in contact with the animal self, being in contact with like the child self, mm-hmm. the inner child, um, that's what spirituality 
is often aimed at. That's what we, when we think of self-work or inner work, we're talking about this. We're talking about connecting the hierarchical structure of self, the higher to the lower, mm. to be fluent in moving through both, to be fluent in understanding what both are. And so you can listen to your feelings and you can embrace your pain and you can look at your memories from the past that, are, that maybe hurt you and you can be in touch with them and integrate them and that, in some sense, is the writer understanding what the elephant wants and what it needs and not trying to fight against it. Understanding that the writer can't control the elephant, no matter what, no, ma mm -hmm. no matter what yeah. you do, the writer cannot yeah. get down and push the elephant yeah. down the path. Yeah. It can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Yeah. Like, that's a really old saying. And that's the thing. It's like, you cannot make the elephant do things, but you can develop a better relationship with it yes. and that's you know that's what therapy is yeah there's all different kinds of therapy but like what is it aimed at it's like it's aimed at <laughs> first of all you go to a therapist because you need help mm -hmm. you wouldn't go if you didn't need the therapist to do something for you and that implies already a disconnection with yourself mm. i don't know how yeah. to fix this yeah i don't my, something is wrong with me with me like mm -hmm. not just like my life but like with me and i don't know how to fix it yeah you go to someone who can help you fix it and that, that really demonstrates that, that there's a disconnection with, within yourself. Mm. The rider doesn't know how to control the elephant or the elephant's scared and the rider can't get it to do anything. Or the elephant keeps flipping out and getting into these crazy tantrums mm. and the rider doesn't know what to do about it. Yeah. Um, and you go to a therapist and a the therapist, what, what they're hopefully going to do is they're going to find a way to bridge that gap. And they can't do it either. They can't bridge the gap, but they can hold space for it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so um, so this metaphor is useful. And um, it's nothing new. I mean, this just ties into everything we've talked about on the podcast so far. Um, in many ways, the elephant is the shadow. It's, mm. that's, I mean, the shadow does not encapsulate the elephant, nor does the elephant encapsulate the shadow. But yeah. I would say that like, when we're talking about the golden shadow, we're talking about getting in touch with the elephant uh, getting in touch with what you're not aware of or what's underneath the surface can lead to great power and great strength. And all the things we've laid out in the podcast so far are, are ways of doing that. If, if you want to figure out what the elephant needs, journal. Yeah. What comes it, out when you journal? Yeah, there's no simple answer. Yeah. It's everyone's elephant, what it's gone through, what has defined it, what is what it's adapted to um, to act and to to sort of translate to the writer is going to be highly dependent on your life and, mm -hmm. and your experiences. But it is about first and foremost, recognizing that the elephant is there or that the part of the personality is the greater unconscious aspects and that there might be some more difficult shadowy elements to this elephant, mm. or there might be some really strong, powerful um, dynamics to this elephant and you just haven't been listening to it. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're someone who has a really strong relationship to it. Maybe you're someone who denies it completely. No matter what, we all have this opportunity to open up this greater conversation to these parts of ourself and to recognize that the elephant has many of its own desires and motivations and it's about recognizing them in all different areas of your life. So how can you open that connection how can you be more in tune with the elephant? How can you shift your environment and your mindset to be open to what the elephant has to show you and how you can learn from it, but at the same time, how you can be 
more connected and more in tune. And now it's time for a dream from a member of our audience. This is from a 30-year-old female, and here's the dream. There was an upstairs neighbor in a rickety apartment complex of the sort I've never lived in. He was an old, thin man, someone that everyone understood was to be ignored. There was shared sound with the neighbor and joy, or at least warmth. There was a small device that fit in the palm of my hand, gold, a device that made sound to share. I closed my hand around it, and it was precious. So I think it'll be helpful to have a little bit more context, as I feel like this dream, at least what we've received, is like a snapshot of a very interesting symbol and representation for this dreamer. Mm -hmm. So she writes that she's been gradually recognizing that the role of a music teacher, which she is, is to facilitate human beings being in time and in tune with each other. So there seems to be a certain realization happening for her at this time that the role that she's playing as a teacher of music Mm -hmm. is to create connection for individuals and to step into that role to embody that is to facilitate an experience where not only is she teaching a skill, but she's also teaching people how to create relationship to one another. And this dream to me seems to be a very interesting symbol of that embrace. And I'd be very curious to know if there's been certain resistance to this role or if there's been a sense of, um, or in some ways at least, discounting the importance of being a music teacher because we have this old man who is in this rickety apartment complex. Yeah. And it's someone that everyone was supposed to be ignoring. So Mm -hmm. some part of her which the old man is imaging in the dream, some part of her own psyche is being ignored, pushed aside. And he's in an apartment complex. So that brings up that kind of universal symbol of the house or some sort of space of living, which is often, you know, that structure of the psyche, the dynamics of the psyche. So some part of her has been kind of banished. And yet as the dream continues, they create music together. Mm. There's this shared sound with that neighbor and it's joy and it's warmth and it's connection so depending on what's been going on with this dreamer, there might at least be a, a certain reinforcement that this dream is having for her, which is to say, if you've been coming to a certain understanding of the role of being a teacher of music and what, how important that is actually for individuals, mm-hmm. that this dream is, um, is helping affirm that for her. Right. The dream kind of seems like an epiphany. Mm. And who knows if this is the kind of dream where like the, the dreamer shot up out of bed and was like eureka like right. i realize now the yeah. true path like <laughs> maybe i mean it kind of sounds like it yeah um hard to know i mean maybe the dreamer chose this dream specifically because it stood out as being meaningful in that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. but there is a realization there's a shift yeah. that happens through the dream where um as you said there's it's hard to know. It's like, is this a part of her that's mm. been ignored mm-hmm. or is it kind of more like an external thing where it's like, she actually just like doesn't see people mm. for what they, for what they are 
or she's not allowing herself to actually empathize or mm-hmm. connect with people yeah. as much as she should. Mm. And then she realizes that part of teaching is doing that. Yeah. It's not just like this mechanistic um, thing, like, I don't know, like putting together like um, a meal mm. as much as it's like bringing people into harmony with each other. Mm. Like that's what it means to be a teacher. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, it's hard to know, but um definitely uh this old man that's <laughs> it's understood that he was to be ignored like it's an interesting <laughs> way to phrase it. like everyone's agreed that we're going to ignore this well that's old what's man. interesting right yeah. it's there there's uh, some sort of conscious attitude or known attitude amongst all of the neighbors yeah. or whoever that this old thin creepy weird man is to be ignored right it, it implies social pressure mm. and, and is it actual external perception sure. where it's like I'm being expected to behave this way, therefore I am. And I realize I don't need to do what's expected of me anymore. Mm. I can actually do what I feel. Sure. Or yes. maybe the social pressure is like the different parts of the self exerting sure. pressure yes. on the more feeling part yeah. or the more empathetic part. Yeah. Um, this is certainly where, the the dreamer's own discretion and um ability to sort of decipher the more subjective either you know these are internal parts of Mm -hmm. myself or is this a commentary on like a outer situation and that's what's so interesting about dreams is it can kind of flow between all these different possibilities Mm -hmm. but that discernment kind of comes from your own knowing so you know right now we're giving ideas and possibilities and sort of um fleshing out some of these symbols but those even within those two first lines of this dream, we have so much interesting insight. Yeah. You know, the the old thin man. What does he represent? And the yeah, it's just like the saddest symbol that it could be. <laughs> yeah, it's like an old man that everyone has agreed yeah. to ignore. It's, it's sad. Like, there's it, nothing sadder than yeah. that. And that's like interesting because like it's maybe like the dream has conjured together an extreme symbol. Yeah, to represent like the universal ignored sure. person who is yeah. uh, in a rickety old apartment that's yeah. falling apart. The apartment has been ignored as right. well. So it's a place that is falling apart because it doesn't have love. Right. Yes. And um, it's a great dream. I mean, yeah. the way, the way it's written is quite nice Beautiful. and it makes it really easy for us to examine it. Yeah. And so if you're listening, write, write in your dreams like this. Yes. Um, um, a couple of very interesting notes in this dream i think is that there's this small device that fits into the palm of her hand yeah and it's gold a device that gold, makes sound that golden object <laughs> that's always appearing in dreams isn't it interesting? It's, so, it's so interesting yeah makes me wonder if it's actually in the dream is it like oh this is clearly gold i can right. tell yes. and i push on it and it clearly has a consistency of gold mm. or is it more like an object of light mm-hmm. you know yes like that seems more to me like there was an object of light in your dream. And when you woke up, you projected onto that, like, oh, it's gold. Yeah. But light is, I think, clearly an archetypal, yeah. deeply ingrained, pre-conscious Mm-mm. thing, Mm-mm. the object of light. Right. And that appears in the dream. Yeah. And this is a device that makes, you know, this this sound that is to be shared. Mm-hmm. So there is that, that dynamic between there being that uh, separation yeah. early on in the dream from the old man and then moving towards connection and harmony 
you know, and she closes her hand around it and it feels precious. It's something that has this emotional tone to it. So mm. there's something about this, this device that makes this, you know, harmonizing sound that connects her maybe to the neighbor or maybe connects like the whole apartment building. We don't even know what's happening, but yeah. um, certainly there's a very interesting transition that's happening here. Yeah. And one of, um, I don't know, kind of parts being disparate to coming together um, like those harmonizing notes. Mm -hmm. So the dreamer does mention that she puts, she put together a recital recently, yeah. a student recital uh, for individuals in a care home. Assuming yeah. that means like an old folks home, nursing home, things like that. And so she seems to be um, conducting something with, with her students. And as the teacher that's creating harmony, connection, yeah. emotional um, depth for people. So this dream, a beautiful affirmation, maybe, maybe it's kind of shining a light on that um, more disconnected part mm -hmm. um, and an invitation to kind of continue to bring that p part forward or to examine how that, um, you know, old separate um, damaged part might be still prominent in her life. Um, but hopefully these give her a couple of nice ideas to consider. Do you have a question for us? Do you have a dream you'd like us to analyze? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover? We want to hear from you. Contact us through a submission form, which can be found at our Instagram page at Golden Shadow Podcast. Or if you're listening on YouTube, you can find the link in the description down below. Thanks for listening. See you later. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow podcast. Thank you.